The funny thing about social media is that this incredible tool designed to help us make new friends, maintain our connection to existing friends, and share all of our important moments with friends was created and is overseen by people who are not our friends. This is my conversation with Rob Krechak. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Rob Krechak, founder of Humans First, and he focuses on technology overload, how to get people through it. So Rob, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Hirsch. I'm really grateful and uh, for the opportunity and really glad to be here. Tell me where, where technology overload first became a thing to you. Yeah, um, so... I had a really tough time in high school because I was very, uh, I had very bad acne and the, the entire time I was in high school, that was very, very, you know, damaging to my self-esteem and self-worth. You know, it, it had resulted in me having low self-esteem. You know, I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't want people to look me in the eye. And, you know, even one of my years for my yearbook picture, I purposefully didn't go to the picture and get my picture taken because I didn't want people to remember my face that way. And so it was became very difficult for me to connect with people or have the esteem to do that. But one of the other unfortunate kind of side effects, I would say, is I became addicted to video games. And this was in the mid-90s before, you know, most people even had a cell phone. Most people didn't have an Internet-connected computer at home. And so, you know, I kind of, I kind of joked that I was addicted to technology before it was cool to be addicted to technology, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and it, but I, I mentioned this story because, um, you know, I was addicted to video games. And then at other points in my life, I was addicted to Facebook and then email. And so I've seen the negative repercussions of, you know, using technology too much or uh, in, a, in a poor way in, you know, for many parts of my life. And I just want to help other people avoid that because I think what's happening is, you know, technology is just becoming a greater and greater portion proportion of our life and our time spent. And, and again, like, uh, I, I, you know, I, really think that technology does amazing things. I, I always say I'm not anti-technology, I'm pro-humanity. But I just want to help other people not go through what I went through, and I'm just seeing that it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue for a lot of humans today. Do you think that we somehow bring this on ourselves or brought this on ourselves subconsciously, the whole immersion into technology? Well, it's really interesting, right? So I spent the last four years researching what I call technology mindfulness or technology overload. They're kind of opposites of each other, right? And technology overload is what I think yeah. is happening to most people. There's just overwhelmed with all the ways we communicate and the ways we use technology. And I think the solution to that is technology mindfulness or being aware of the ways that technology can impact your uh, mental health, relationships, and productivity at work. And, you know, what I've, what's interesting is 
you know, in, in, in the last four years, I, I read over 100 books and dissected over 2,000 articles and studies to truly understand human sociology, psychology, biology, technology, and neurology, all five of those areas. And my con- one of the main conclusions I have is that uh, technology is doing two things at the same time. It is one, increasing the day-to-day and sometimes minute-to-minute stress that we experience. And two, it is degrading our relationships, communities, and families, which is our social support system. And that's one of the main ways we deal with stress. So it's increasing stress while also decreasing our ability to deal with it at the same time. And those are obviously both going in the wrong direction. And so I believe that this is actually the root cause of not all, but a lot of the mental health crisis we have today. And so I think what we naturally do to cope when we don't have a social support system is we do other things like go on technology. And ironically, we don't even realize it, but it actually makes the problem even worse. Right. And so like my the whole goal of my company, Humans First, is to educate people and bring some awareness to these things so that they can then decide if they want to you know, change the way that they use technology or their, the things that they're doing in their lives to you know, maybe make them better. What are the options as far as things that we can do? Let's say I, I acknowledge that technology is, uh, is something, you know, I've gone through various phases of addiction, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, to, various, to various platforms, mm-hmm. you know. I did a cleanse like a year ago where, right. I, where I was on a, I did a productivity uh, course and, uh, and I, I took all that, like a lot of the apps, most of the apps, like off my phone. But but I ha- I got back on mm-hmm. little by little a couple Facebook actually I still have off I still kept face the Facebook app off my phone nice so so that's my little victory yeah but and then my daughter's put my daughter put TikTok back on so that's really not like I keep taking it off she keeps putting it back on but it's not you know that one I never really used so it wasn't it wasn't a big problem for me but. But I did go on like a diet of, of getting rid of those things for a while. But what, how do you go about it from, from your experience? How do you go about making changes? Yeah, um, I mean, that's, uh, there, you know, like there's uh, 50 different answers I could give to that question. But I, I guess sure. the first thing is just a general awareness, uh, like being aware of what technology does to you. So let me, I can kind of describe what I've observed. And I think if people hear this, then they'll start to, uh, they'll start to notice it in their lives. So most times when we interact with technology, not all the time, but a lot of the time, when we interact with technology, it activates our sympathetic nervous system. This is the fight or flight system that keeps us alive when there's a threat. So, for instance, let's say 50,000 years ago when we were cavemen and cavewomen, if a saber-toothed tiger was attacking my tribe, my sympathetic nervous system gets amped up. It gets me ready to either fight this saber-toothed tiger or run away from it with my family. Well, the problem is that when this sympathetic nervous system gets amped up, it takes at least 30 minutes or more to fully downregulate or recover. Well, in today's world, the average white-collar worker is checking their email in Slack once every six minutes, and we're getting a smartphone notification once every 15 waking minutes. And so what's happening to the average person throughout the day is they're interacting with technology, it's amping up their nervous system throughout the entire day, and then it never, ever has a chance to fully downregulate or recover. 
recover. And so this is this is con, you know massively contributing to this sense of anxiety that a lot of people feel. And again, they're not. This is literally happening happening to 4.2 billion people that are connected to the internet on a daily basis, and they're not even aware that this is happening. And so when you start to realize, oh, like checking my email once every five minutes actually makes me feel worse, and you start to build awareness of that, now you can say to yourself, oh. You know, is is checking my email? Is that ser- every five minutes? Is that really serving me well? Or maybe should I change the amount that I check it? Maybe I check it once an hour. I can still get all my work done, but I not I don't feel as bad. That to me, if someone has that level of awareness, that's a huge win. And that's you know just a, a simple example of something that people could do or change. On a very basic level, FOMO, right? Like the the fear of missing out on stuff. Yeah seems to be a a real catalyst for yeah. you know technology addiction. Yep. Why do we what is it that we think we're 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 reasonably tell, intelligent enough as a species that we kind of know having spent, you know, thousands of days at this point <laughs> doing the same thing yeah. and knowing that there's really not, you know, I I, there's there's very rare uh, situation where we're really really missing out. What do we think we're missing out on? Yeah, so this is super interesting psychologically, and I'm happy to describe what's happening when we experience FOMO. So FOMO or fear of missing out for those who don't know what it is. Um, in its basic sense, you can think of FOMO as a fear of loss of social capital. And so, so like humans need all kinds of resources to survive, right? The main resources we need are food, shelter, and clothing, like on a super basic level. Well, one of the, so we though get more food, shelter, and clothing when we work together as a group, when we're a tribe. And so social capital, you could argue, is actually almost more important psychologically than food, shelter, and clothing because more social capital leads to more food, shelter, and clothing. And so when we experience FOMO, um, and again, like this is all like subconscious, right? Like you're not actively thinking this, right? Yeah. But when you, for instance, when you're on social media and you experience FOMO, you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, there's those people, there's people that I know that are doing something and I'm not there. I feel left out. And this feeling of left out makes you feel like you don't have as much connection with those people. Your body and mind interpret that as a threat. Again, this activates that sympathetic nervous system I was just talking about. And then, and, and, and because social capital is so valuable and it's a basic human need for every person on earth, it's very, it, we perceive it as very threatening that is that is really activates our sympathetic nervous system and puts us into this fight or flight. And so like what people don't realize is basically the entire time that you're on social media, you're probably experiencing this to some degree, whether it's a little or a lot, it depends on what your newsfeed looks like and who you are. But that is super damaging over time. What's also interesting is they've done studies and they it show they show that when you're a teenager, when you have very uh, you know not as good executive functioning or decision making or not as good of a sense of identity, you are actually even more prone to for, to FOMO and you actually experience it even worse than an adult. So ironically, the people who can deal with it the least are experiencing it the most because they use social media the most. And so again, like I wish I could just have a megaphone and blast this information to 4.2 billion people because if every human on earth that was connected to the internet knew this, the entire world would be a different place. I, I really believe that. Um, and I think that the, the movie The Social Dilemma 
started to illustrate to people that, yeah, social media might not be the best thing for us. It might not, there's are, there are certain parts of it that aren't that good for human psychology. Um, but again, like there are some things that it can be used good for it. It it can connect you with people. It can help your business, but probably not the way that most people use it is a way that is serving them well, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And it's, it's like a, perpetual illusion you know that that even in the in the marketing industry where you know there were the in, on the in the in the wake of the influencer mania that overtook us for several years mm-hmm. people are acknowledging that that really doesn't influence very much i mean salespeople have existed you know since the since the since the first since the first uh, fire pit was sold, you know, it's like the, the 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 idea of someone being an influencer and being essentially a good salesman, if that if they were effective, mm-hmm. is not anything major. It's just that people having the capacity to have millions of followers was supposed to translate into millions of conversions, which we know is completely irrational and mm-hmm. and doesn't happen. Yep. But it's almost like we're rooting for social media to somehow show us that it actually has value. It's like an employee that consistently underperforms and yet never gets fired and if anything keeps getting kicked up the ladder. <laughs> and so and so now, you know, TikTok is the chief executive of the of the of the world. Mm. Now, there are returns, there are returns on investments. Certainly. But as a whole, in some total, I think it's pretty obvious, like you point out, that the the the, the not only are the are the detriments outweighing the benefits, but they they're they're working at 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 odds. Yeah. So um, so there's a there's a residual damage. Yep. And then there's also a thing that I am curious about your opinion on, which is. The quality of the information that we get from let's let's talk about young people, for example, on TikTok mm-hmm. that are somehow getting political messaging and inter- very you know that that's very interesting to me how a kid will say, oh, uh, you know, Joe Biden's dying, and then I say what? And they go, yeah, he's like dying, like his mind is shot, and he's he's gone, he's gone, and he fell off his bike, and he 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 he's he's crashing his bike all over the place, and he's, you know, and and I say, oh, well, where did that? Where was that? You know, oh, it's a TikTok, it's a it was a TikTok, and and so it's not just like a waste of time or a you know a droning on of of cat videos as we used to <laughs> make fun of viral videos you know it's not just just silliness it's it's targeted disinformation totally that appears to appear in a in a in a random place but obviously it's not random at all yeah, so um, super. So it's an interesting comment, right? And um, uh, first, I'll give an analogy, and then I'll answer your question. But the way I think about social media is, I believe that social media is the cigarette of the 21st century. I actually researched this, you know, cigarette use in the United States for my company, and 
uh, you know, just to educate myself. And what was interesting is uh, there was a point in the United States where over 50% of doctors, physicians smoked and recommended smoking to their yeah. patients. <laughs> and so like you think about that now and you're like, is that for real? Like I, I had to double check that, you know, like statistic because I didn't, it seemed like mind-blowingly crazy that that happened, but it did. And so like I think 20 years from now, we're going to look at social media and say, what in the F were we thinking giving a 12-year-old this this technology that is unlimited, super convenient, as addictive as illegal drugs like cocaine, and you know, giving it to a 12-year-old with unlimited access? Like that's mind-blowingly silly. Um, I, I just think that we're we're not going to realize that until 20 years from now. But I, you know, what's interesting about in you're saying about this, um, you know, like. Uh, how people can be influenced by misinformation and stuff. There's a researcher, his name is Wynn, and he wrote a paper on how Twitter, and it, but it really it, 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 uh, is valid for all social media, but how Twitter gamifies um, conversation and how it can lead to echo chambers or what is essentially cult-like language. And what he essentially concluded at the end of the paper, or this like 40-page white paper, was that social media is like the most ideal platform ever conceived to get people to believe things that are not true and to essentially form cults, virtual cults, which, you know, therefore, you know, can influence people in real life and, you know, get people to do things that they would not normally do. These things that are happening online are having real world implications, like families are being driven apart and people are doing real world things that are harming the social fabric of our world. And I think that this is one of the main concerns that I have about technology today. Technology could be used to bring us together and connect us and, you know, make us tighter, but instead it's actually driving us apart in many instances. Yeah, I go back to, you know, the, the, the election cycles that I used to follow so closely and became so susceptible to all of the input. And not, not you know, it was input that I was fed, I was, I was feeding on things that I, that I believed. Sure, you know, it wasn't course. like that I don't believe them. That's how that it's just I was overdosing on mm-hmm. I was overdosing on it. I was very unhappy yeah. about things that, that, you know, true or not, there's only so much effectiveness I could have. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have been more effective if I had really been committed to a certain movement to get out in the street and, and go and work on, a various, work on various social projects, social impact projects or whatever it might be and just keep my mouth shut, you know, on social media. I wouldn't, but the trick is that people think, Social media is a platform. Mm -hmm. That word platform makes us think, at least, that this is a place from which we can operate on a scale we never could Mm -hmm. if we were going door to door. So what do you what do you respond to that notion of of social media actually interconnecting us in ways that and giving us voice where we would might never have? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if you think about when social media first came in onto the scene, which I think Facebook started and it was like 03, right? I mean, that was, it was totally revolutionary at the time and it absolutely connected more people than at that point in time than a lot, you know, there was not, 
we basically at that point had like text messaging and email and that was about it. You know, there weren't that many other ways to communicate back then. And so I do think it totally enhanced communication and made the, as Mark Zuckerberg says, made the world more open and connected. But, you know, when we have 50 or 100 different platforms to connect with on now and, you know, that's that's not really the main value proposition for Facebook or at least not in my opinion for most people you know, you can't really make that argument anymore. It's like, okay, you know, if I don't connect connect with you on Facebook, there's, again, so many other options. It's just crazy. But here's the thing that I think about, right, is I think all technology, whether it's social media or anything else, technology I view as a tool. And just like a hammer can be used to build a house or a hammer can be used to hit someone on the head, you know, you can use a tool for good and you can use a tool for bad. And I think that what has happened is, the uh, social media as a tool started off being used mostly for good. And I think now, especially on Facebook and Instagram with Mark Zuckerberg's influence, it's not being used as a tool for good. And, you know, people have to decide, is that is that something that I want in my life or is that something that I want to do? Um, you know, I, 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 that's their decision. For a while, Signal was taking off as an alternative, right? Yeah. To to using meta products, I yes. guess. Um, I had it, you know, I downloaded, I still have it. I don't really use it. Like I slid back into what it really happens is obviously we are, we're already connected. So it's one thing if you've never used social media, you know, like some, some people have never used it. Some people have never used email. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they just never had, they never got sucked in at all. They were just like resolute. And that was it. Just, if you want to reach me, you know, I have a rotary phone or I have, you know, get a, get on a, on a a bus or something and come see me, (laughs) but otherwise you can't reach me. Um, the, the process, let's assume that we're, so what do, how do you live is is kind of like how would you describe your experience now in terms of your relationship with social media and and what you might prescribe if you were if you were a doctor we know you're not a doctor yeah but if you if you were a doctor and we're just role playing yeah, yeah. and I'm your your patient you know what would you so uh, totally, that's a two part question. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, so I realized I had a problem and I was addicted to Facebook when I had the Facebook app on my phone and I was driving and I would be checking Facebook at red lights or I'd be checking Facebook in the 20 seconds I was in an elevator. And I, and I you know, I try yeah. to like check in with myself occasionally and just ask if what I'm doing is serving me well. And I started saying to myself, well, what am I doing? Like I'm filling 20 second gaps in my day with looking at Facebook. That's freaking bonkers. Like that can't be good. Right. And so that's when I realized that I had a problem. And what's interesting is I know a lot of people that I talk to say the same thing. They're like, oh yeah, I just said do it when I'm bored. Right. And Facebook yeah. wants you to use Facebook when they're, when you're bored. Um, and so I, you know, I deleted the app from my phone and 
I now I didn't delete my account, but I deleted it from my phone. And what, what, what happened is in the week following that, I would open up my phone and just instinctively go to the place where the blue F used to be and hit it. And it wasn't there anymore. And then I realized, holy crap, like this is, you know, I was basically <laughs> like on autopilot to use Facebook when I was bored or uncomfortable or whatever. And that's not a good thing. And so my suggestion for people is the following. You can still use Facebook as much as you want, as often as you want, as long as you want, but the trick is you have to use it from a computer or laptop and you delete it from your phone. And so you Mm -hmm. still have complete ability to use it. It's, It's just not nearly as convenient and that will force you to be much more intentional and deliberate with your use. Now, a lot of people like think that I ask them to cut off their ar- own arm when I say that. So uh, alternatively, here's what you could do as kind of an interim you know, uh, step. Instead of having Facebook on your homepage, which I'm, you know, 99% of people who have it on their phone have it on their homepage or any social media, right? You could take it and move the app to the very last uh, page of apps. So now in order to get there, you have to scroll three or four or five times And yes, it's a little bit less convenient, but yes, that's like that on purpose because now there's a little bit more friction between you using it uh, or between you wanting to use it and you actually using it. And that will dramatic, I'm not saying it completely just, you know, diminishes your use, but it will probably for most people dramatically cut down their use. And that's exactly what you want. Yeah, that's good. It's a good, it's good to give people options and not to try to, you know, if there's one thing we don't like, it's being told what to do. Right. And that, you know, that's that's that goes for everybody. That's everybody, every patient, every every working person, every business person. This is all the same. So, so pulling back a little further, looking at the world today, and looking at the road ahead of us as as you know as uh, occupants of a planet, right? Yeah. Where do you where do you see us going? Just from your corner of the world, looking out, yeah. what do you, when you think about uh, about the future? What are you? What are some of the things you see? Yeah, well, the the reason that I named my company Humans First is because in America, the average and this is a pre COVID statistic, so you can't say oh we're blaming this on COVID or whatever. Pre-COVID statistic, in America, the average person spends 12 hours and 21 minutes a day in front of screens and media. Or, in other words, we spend three quarters of our waking lives seven days a week in front of technology. And, you know, hum- like the, the, the reason my company is named Humans First is it's a reminder that the, the most joy and happiness and meaning and purpose in our lives comes from connecting with and being with other people, not with technology. And so what I think has to happen, unfortunately, is... I think the pain of using technology has to be so great that we realize that it's a problem and then we start to move away from it. And I don't think we're unfortunately there yet. I think, I think we're still, I think there's still a lot of people moving toward technology because they, for a lot of different reasons, but I think, you know, it might take another five, 10 years before we realize, oh, this much technology use isn't good for me and my mental health and my relationships and my productivity and I realized that, and now I'm actually pulling away and, and you know, sort of uh, living life like we used to maybe 20 or 30 years ago where, 
you know, we're doing more stuff in person and we're, um, you know, not on technology as much, but it's sort of hard to to determine exactly how long that's going to take. And I think it's going to be different points of time for different people. I also wonder if while we're glued to social media, it's giving us a respite from the realities of the world that we're, you know, depending on what you're what your searches are and what what shows up you could have all kinds of scary shit come up on your on your phone Mm -hmm. but it's also possible that we're immersing ourselves in these little uh these kind of you know 24-hour cycles of of uh of of content because if we lift our heads up and look at each other we may find conflict and if we look at uh, if we look at the world, we may find horror. Uh-huh. And so is it possible that we're somehow avoiding avoiding reality? Oh, totally. By being glued to technology. Well, here's what's inter- interesting, right? This is very paradoxical. So if you look at, you know, again, when we, I love to think about, okay, like what was life like when we were cavemen and cavewomen? And when we were cavemen and cavewomen, If there was, like, let's say I'm in one tribe and you're in a different tribe, right? And these tribes are generally like, let's say, 20 to 30 people. They're pretty small. We would generally compete for resources like food, shelter, clothing, right? And if in in the caveman days, if you and I, if my tribe and your tribe competed for resources and we felt like we were, let's say my tribe felt like we were going to be defeated or outcompeted, we would just leave, right? Like that's how humans for hundreds of thousands of years dealt with conflict is they would obviously, if they needed to have conflict, they would, but a lot of times they would just go somewhere else and, and leave the situation. And so what you, what you see happening is uh, researchers are looking at this now and there's people leaving this, not only the state, like the state they're in to go to a different state, but leaving the country um, and what's happening is I believe that there people as a whole in the United States are sensing this conflict, uh, and they're, they're, they're moving to go somewhere else. And I, um, you know, I, I actually think it is being, I know it's actually being driven by social media. The reason I know that is, uh, there was a Facebook whistleblower who came out last October and showed data that proved that in 2018, Mark Zuckerberg knew that Facebook and Instagram were showing people divisive, anger-inducing content because it would make more engagement on the platform and make them pissed off at each other and make them stay on the platform longer. Yeah. And it also he yeah. also found out, by the way, at the same time, that Instagram was making teenagers inf- uh, you know, more depressed and anxious and actually even in contributing to suicide. And what he did with this information was... Nothing. He did nothing. He cashed in on the mental health and well-being of 2.9 billion people on the platform for years, so that so the 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 mental health and well-being of those people declined, so that he could make more money. This and this is proven. Like this isn't freaking emails. This is not a debate, right? So yeah, you you know, I just don't think that that is. I just do not align with that philosophically, and I I I just think that. Um, you know, I wish that every person on the platform, that platform could know that or, li- or hear that you are being taken advantage of, you are being manipulated and your own mental health and well-being is being tra- uh, traded in for more money, essentially. And like, you have to decide if you're okay with that. I am not. 
but you that's that's for you to decide. That's an interesting point that it's for the the individual to decide because I do believe that there are there is a a, a segment of of people and sometimes I may end up in this batch too who know who are who are ethically at odds with something and patronizing a certain uh, company or a certain or 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 um, enabling mm. behavior like Zuckerberg's and who are somehow okay with it, either because we are helpless, we feel helpless, or we're stuck or something like like Zuckerberg like. Okay, well, I have these accounts, right? I have Facebook account, WhatsApp account, and Instagram account. And shouldn't I not, just based on the, the very simple truths that you referred to a moment ago, like, shouldn't that be outlawed in my house, you know, like, not patronize this this asshole and his, <laughs> you know, like, what, like, what, like why would you? But... But the but there's a certain negotiation that we make with with these damaging things, and it extends to everything, right? You know, for most people, it extends to everything: fossil fuel, and totally. uh, you know, and there, you know, there, there's not we're we're we could put it all under an umbrella of technology, but in the bigger picture, really. There is a certain pact we make with the devil to enjoy life in a way that makes us feel fulfilled. So we're yeah. we're not we're not doing heinous crimes on our own volition, but we're we're enabling inequity, we're enabling climate disasters we're enabling you know take your pick because we because we've decided that on some level we're happier <laughs> we're happier this this way yeah well what's a lot of the research that i've done is has been on well-being and and happiness and flourishing as martin seligman the father of positive psychology likes to say and what's interesting is when you look at the data just for humans as a whole right we, there's a massive, massive disconnect between what we think will make us happy and what actually makes us happy, always, with everything, right? Almost everything. And so the, to me, one of the great ironies is we believe, like the average person believes that going on social media will make them happier. And you, you might experience it in the moment as temporarily making you happy or you perceive there to be hap- more happiness. But what it's actually doing is decreasing your well-being and happiness. And it's, it's like, it's like a total, it's a totally ironic, uh, like, uh, juxtaposition, right? Like we get, so like, I call it kind of this downward spiral. Like, let's say, you know, you're a little lonely, right? Because you're, you know, like everyone has been, you know, cooped up during COVID and you can't see people. So you're just a little bit lonely because of that, which like, that's totally understandable, right? Like I, I'm a super extroverted person and my, my wife and I were going bonkers during COVID cause we couldn't see people in person. So I, I would say I felt somewhat lonely during that time because that seems normal. 
And but what what then what happens is you think to yourself, oh, like I'm lonely, so I'm gonna connect with some people and go on Facebook. And you go on Facebook and then you actually feel worse. And so you feel lonelier. And so like then you tell yourself, oh, I'm gonna spend more time on Facebook, and you actually become lonelier and more sad, right? And so like what people don't realize is the antidote is actually to not go on Facebook and connect with people in person. And but because going on Facebook is way more convenient, it's more, it's unlimited and it requires no effort, they will do that instead of take the time to make plans and do something with people. And so as this interesting social experiment, one of the things I did in 2021, because I realized that 2020 was so difficult, in 2021, I did this social experiment. I made a spreadsheet and I uh, told myself I was going to do one of two things every single week. I was going to have a 20-minute phone call with two people who I hadn't talked to or seen for at least three months. That's option one. Or option two was I would have a one-hour in-person meeting or dinner or coffee with someone I hadn't seen or talked to in three months. And so I did that for every single week of the entire year of 2021. And I thought it was freaking awesome, like connecting with all those people that I hadn't talked to in a long time and, you know, just being deliberate about that and just chatting with people like, hey, what's going on with you or grab a coffee. I thought it was super fun and I, and I really liked it. And I just wish that more people would think about doing stuff like that because I really think that people would generally, genuinely be so much happier. That comes back to something that uh, we talk about a lot on this show, which is the programming that we have of our priorities, mm. you know, that our, our priorities are programmed, you know, not by, by us. And so we then are, we then are, you know, it's not as limited as social media, but we're, we're beholden to all kinds of goals and commitments and aspirations and, and, uh, uh widgets in our lives yeah. that make what you just described, uh, impossible to, accomplish, right? Because I have this and I have that. Well, here's an interesting analogy then. If, the, if, if, if Here's the way you could think about this, right? Let's say I go to one of your listeners and I, and I tap them on the shoulder and I say, hey, would you mind if I selected a random person on earth to determine your schedule for two hours and 15 minutes a day? Like they're going to determine what you think, what you look at, what you're doing for two hours and 15 minutes. And most people would be like, are you crazy? Like that sounds like a totally ridiculous you know, notion that some other random person would determine my schedule. But here's what people don't realize is the average person in America spends two hours and 14 minutes a day on social media. And that is exactly what you are agreeing to. When you go on those platforms, you're agreeing to let some other person that's not you dictate what you see, what you think, you know, and who you talk to. And obviously there, you still have some agency, right? It's not like you, they're not making you type comments in there, but for the most part, your agency is being taken away and is being determined by Mark Zuckerberg or whoever else owns the platform that you're on. And you don't realize that. And so like, I don't know, does the, do you, does the average person want their t- schedule for over two hours a day just determined by a random human? I don't. But again, people have yeah. to decide if that's true or, they, or they're okay with that or they're, they're willing to give in to that. What ha- now, what happened to you was you, you worked on Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. You were an equity analyst. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you achieved what, what you felt was success but didn't didn't find fulfillment in it, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I was a, I was a sell-side equity analyst for five years. I covered medical device and pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, I, I super appreciated my time working at the, the firm I was at. I 
really have a lot of respect for the people there, and I really think that they do a great job with clients. But I just, I don't know. In that career, I didn't feel like I was helping people enough, and and um, you know, I also have ADHD. So you know, me being in a corporate setting, sitting at a desk, is probably not the best way for me to you know function <laughs> because of the ADHD, and so. I ended up becoming a nine-time entrepreneur uh, in about as many years as that, and um, you know, ultimately ended up, you know, having. I feel like I've been reasonably successful with that, and you know, that to me is um, very much, you know, very rewarding, but also very challenging. And I like a challenge. I don't want to be complacent or or do easy things because you know that's not very exciting to me. What were some of the entrepreneurial ventures that you? engaged in over that nine-year period? I owned three Anytime Fitness Health Clubs, four You Break, I Fix, Cell Phone Repair Stores, and then a tech startup to help small businesses uh, generate sales, and then my current consultancy, Humans First. So uh, nine businesses in about as many years. Very cool. So so there is a balance um, in what you're doing as far as entrepreneurial uh, engagement and, you know, being engaged, if anything, you're finding, let's say that you, that your restraint and management and kind of reclamation of your own, of your own, uh, destiny with regard to technology has borne itself out as, as far as, uh, your own, your own quality of life and, and success in business. Is that, which is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I'm here to show people, right, is I'm not here to tell you exactly what you specifically need to do. Like, you need to figure that out. But what I'm trying to help you understand is maybe there are some ways and the certain amount of technology that you're using that isn't serving you well. And it's just time to question that, right? Because, um, you know, for instance, again, the average person in America uses technology 12 hours and 21 minutes a day. My average screen time, uh, at least over the last three years, is roughly six and a half hours a day. Now, that's including computer and phone. My phone, I only use about an hour and a half a day, and I'm using my computer screen about five hours a day. So I'm about half of the national average. Um, And that's just, you know, I'm a business owner. I do a lot of things on the computer. I read, I do stuff, you know, I check emails. And so I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying don't use technology, but for me, that's kind of the level of technology use that serves me well and allows me to function and do my job or, you know, run my business, but not be overwhelmed and not also, um, you know, still allow me some time to connect with other people in person. I think like anything else, you know, you're pre, you're, you're merely preaching sanity. You're not, you're not, (laughs) you're not like, living in a hut and saying, you know, go, you know, uh, with a holding a sign, you know, you're, you're, you're really just, you're really just reminding us that there's something that we may not be paying attention to at all. Or we may be like I was saying, you know, we may just be kind of making that deal. And maybe it's not a bad thing to reevaluate the deals that we make with ourselves every now and then we would do the same thing in business you know, we would we would mm-hmm. we would reevaluate a deal that we're that we have. Sometimes we have to make a, a point on our calendar of remembering when it's time to consider canceling one of our apps. <laughs> so that yeah, yeah. Well, you know, another way to think about it is, is this, right? Like I always think about for myself, 
I don't want to have any regrets on my deathbed. Like, I don't want to have to, what if I would have, what if I would have, you know, opened up that first Anytime Fitness Health Club or what if I would have traveled around the world? Like, I don't want to have to worry about that stuff. But to ask yourself this, on your deathbed, are you going to wonder, oh, what if I had spent more time on social media? Or are you going to wonder, man, I wish I had spent more time with my family, right? Like, or my good friends or the people I care about. Like, I'm going to want to, you know, I'm probably going to wish I had spent more time, like as much time as humanly possible with my friends and family. And social media on my deathbed is not going to be something that probably enters my mind. Yet the average person is spending two hours and 14 minutes a day on that. But if you think about it this way, right, we don't have that much discretionary time in the United States. Average discretionary time is like two to three hours a day, maybe maybe four, depending on who you are. And so when you spend two hours of something and you have three hours of discretionary time, that's like two thirds of your, you know, your, your the, the, the free time that you have. That's a lot. That's a ton. That's a great point. And I certainly think that it's great to have these conversations and to remind ourselves that we have a lot of power. It's really a a question of what we do with it and what choices we make. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Hirsch. And I just wanted to leave the listeners with one last thought. The amount of love, success, and happiness in this world are infinite. And imagine how much love, success, and happiness we could all have together if we all decided to put humans first. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.